0: Hello and welcome to Spanish True Crime, a podcast dedicated to covering true crime stories from Spain. My name is Natalia and I'm here to bring to you fascinating cases you have probably never heard about yet. Today we're going to talk about a serial killer that terrorized the city of Madrid for weeks, killing six people in just 54 days and whose story had a very surprising ending. This is the case of the Deck of Cards killer. On the 24th of January, 2003, Juan Francisco, a 50-year-old man, married and father of six, was having breakfast with his younger son, who was only two at the time. He worked as a doorman at Alonso Cano Street in Madrid. He also lived there, and it was at his apartment when a man walked into the room. He had a gun, and he made Juan Francisco kneel down, facing the wall. He took the shot, but it didn't fire the first time. He ignored the police for mercy, charged a gun, and shot him in the back of his neck, as if it was an execution. After the act, the killer walked out calmly. He hadn't even bothered to look at the child, instead completely ignored him, and didn't seem to care about the fact that he had just executed his father right in front of him. The second murder was committed on February 5th, near Alameda de Osasuna. Juan Carlos was a young man who worked at the airport. He was waiting for the night bus to go back home at nearly 2 a.m. A man with a gun suddenly appeared and pointed at him with the weapon. Just like with the first victim, he made him kneel down and execution him. When the body was found, the police noticed a card, an ace of cups, next to the body. It's still unclear if it was left there by the killer or if it was a mere coincidence, but when the killer saw the media's reaction to it, he decided to include them in his crimes. That's where his name, the Deck of card Killer, came from. Later that same day, the killer made his way to a bar in Alcalá de Henares. The place was almost empty at the time. He shot the waiter on the forehead. He was a young man named Miquel and the son of the owner of the bar. Then he shot Juana Dolores, a client that was talking on the phone. She was a 50-year-old woman and a mother of three. The bullet hit her in the eye and she died instantly. Then, the killer realized that the owner of the establishment, Teresa, who had just witnessed her son die, was trying to get away and hide in the storage room. This time, he didn't try to kill her instantly. He shot her three times, on an arm, her back and a leg. Teresa pretended to be dead, and the killer fled thinking he had succeeded in killing her. The police hadn't seen a connection between the first two cases, but they saw the similarities between these three crimes, even though there hadn't been another card left in the bar. The next time, though, the killer would leave a card. This fourth attack happened on the 7th of March, in Tres Cantos. Santiago Eduardo, a 27-year-old student from Ecuador who was doing his master's in Madrid, was dropping off his girlfriend at her apartment. The killer parked his car next to where they stood, walked over to them, and quickly shot at Santiago's head. Then he tried to shoot his girlfriend, but the gun got stuck. The killer then dropped a card, a two of cups, and fled. Both Eduardo and his girlfriend survived, although he had to go through 10 surgeries so doctors could reconstruct his jaw. People usually look at the barrel of the gun when they are being pointed at with one. But Santiago Eduardo hadn't noticed the killer was carrying one at first, so he looked at him straight in the eyes. That allowed him to have a clear image of the murderer's face and for the police to be able to have a sketch of him from his description. The image of the killer was broadcasted through the media, and police asked for cooperation from the population, which of course led to a lot of false leads. It was a very juicy case, so the media was of course having a field day with it, which some say may have encouraged the killer. On 28th March, Georgi and his wife Doina, both Romanian citizens living in Spain, were going back home from church at around quarter to nine. They were assaulted with the same quickness and precision as the victims before them, and they both died instantly. The cars the killer dropped this time were a 3 and a 4 of cubs. The main lead the police had was ballistic evidence. They knew all the shots at the crime scenes came from the very same gun, and that the model of that gun was a Tokarev 33, calibre 7.62. That type of gun, that was quite rare, made the police think it came from Eastern Europe. But other than that, they didn't have many other leads to follow, and they were getting desperate. They suspected the killer could have been in the military. But despite intense investigation, they were unable to find a suspect. However, the case was solved in the most unexpected way possible. On July 3rd, a man showed up drunk at Puerto Llanos Police Station and claimed he was the car-deck killer. Unsurprisingly, they didn't believe him at first, but then... He said something no one but the investigators and the killer could know, since it had never been leaked to the press. The cards he left at the scenes all had a blue point drawn in the back. When police heard him say that to prove his identity, they knew this was the card killer. The killer had turned himself in, and his name was Alfredo Galán. Alfredo Galán was born in the town of Puerto Llano, next to Ciudad Real, in 1978. He was a fourth son of a family of five kids. His mother died when he was eight, giving birth to his younger sister. That changed him into a much more serious and introverted child. His dad and grandparents took care of the children from that moment. Alfredo didn't finish high school, and he started drinking at an early age. When he was 21, he got into the army. He was deployed to Mostar, Bosnia, to do humanitarian work. He was 26 by then. His family would later say he had changed after that mission, probably because of what he had seen there, but he refused to talk about it at all with them. Right after coming back from Bosnia, he was sent to Galicia, in the north of Spain, to help cleaning after the Prestige incident. The Prestige was a boat carrying fuel that sinked in front of the Galician coast, causing an environmental disaster. Alfredo didn't feel like that was a task worthy of a soldier, and from that point his career in the military took a turn for the worst. He suffered a series of breakdowns that led to him acting violently. He tried to steal a woman's car after arguing with her and breaking one of its windows, and he had a huge argument with his superiors. He was sent to a psychiatric hospital where he was diagnosed with neurosis and derangement. He was allowed to leave the hospital 24 hours later, thanks to his family who promised he would take all his medication. He had wanted to get out as soon as possible. Two weeks later, he was discharged from the military, which only made him feel worse. He started wasting money, even though he had always been responsible with it before, and spent most of the day in front of the TV. He tried to become a police officer, specifically in the Guardia Civil, but failed the physical tests. In the end, he was able to find a security job at the airport. His brother would later recall a couple of incidents that happened barely two weeks before the murder started that were a sign something was wrong with Alfredo. In a trip from Ciudad Real to Puerto Llano, Galán made his siblings freak out after speeding on the highway, ignoring their pleas for him to slow down. He also showed up to their Christmas Eve dinner with a gun. He yelled and waved it around. He told them it didn't work so they would come down. It was the same gun, the Tokarev, he would later use for the murders and that he had smuggled back from Bosnia, something that was apparently common between soldiers. In September, however, Alfredo Galán took back his confession, although by this point, police had enough evidence against him for this to make a difference. He waited in jail for his trial to come. After being evaluated by psychologists, he was diagnosed with a personality disorder with some paranoid traits. His personality was described as antisocial and narcissistic, he surprised himself with how easy killing was for him. He didn't feel a ounce of regret after his crimes. Galan could be classified as a disorganized serial killer. He killed when he saw the chance. He didn't pick his victims. As we can see, there were no similarities between them. There were women, men, from different nationalities and ages. What best shows his narcissism is how he turned himself in because he wanted everyone to know he was the infamous car killer. And was tired of waiting for the police to catch him. I could have kept on killing for 20 more years, he boasted. The diagnosis meant he was still responsible for his acts. His defense during the trial relied heavily on the fact that the gun had never been found, but it wasn't enough to prove his innocence when he had confessed at first, giving details only the killer would know, and when they had found incriminating evidence when they had searched his house. In the end, he was sentenced to a total of 142 years of jail for breaking and entering, six accounts of murder, three attempted murders, and an illegal possession of a gun. Alfredo Galán is currently carrying out his sentence at Soto El Real, a prison in Madrid. Alfredo Galán was the first serial killer to be convicted as one in Spain. His crimes were so spectacular the media's coverage of the case was incredibly intense. They were the ones to name him as the Asesino de la Baraja o Asesino del Naipe, and it's been said that the media played a part in encouraging him to continue his crimes since he loved all their attention. That may be partly true, but it is after all the job of the media to report on the news, and with an individual such as Alfredo Galán. Who is to say he wouldn't have gone on committing even more crimes to get that notoriety if his crimes hadn't been so publicized? After all, he has started killing people just because he was curious as to how it would feel. And in the end, we can forget that the one responsible for a murder is always the person who commits it. If you're interested in finding out about other stories like this one, please follow this podcast on whatever platform you prefer so you don't miss any new episodes. Please consider leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcast to help spread the word. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at @sptruecrime and Instagram at @spanishtruecrime. You can send an email. You can send an email at spanishtruecrime. You can send an email at, at gmail.com if you wish to contact me. See you next time.